Good news. My new book is finally here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth, and you can order it now wherever books are sold. I wrote this book after the five-year span between 2016 and 2020 when I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked literally every area of my life, my health, relationships, money, career, social status, and even my very sense of self. And along the way, I really got to experience firsthand how dysfunctional our culture's relationship is to loss. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success and shackled with isolation and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and our evolution, not only as individuals, but also as a collective. So this book expands the conversation around loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we definitely cover those too, in order to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. So whether you're experiencing hardship now or know you have past hurts that are holding you back in certain ways and still need healing, this book is here to support you. It's also a great book to gift to clients, family members, friends, just other women in your world who are going through a challenging time. It will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. So within the loving pages of this book, you will have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. It was not a joy to live this journey, but it really was a joy to write it. And you can find it again wherever books are sold and the audio version of the book is available as well. If you would like some gifts to accompany you on your heartbreak journey, you can get those at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. Those are free. Whenever you order books, you can just send in your invoice or your receipt and we'll send you those accompanying gifts. Enjoy. And we write as fast as we can, pen never leaving the page for 15 minutes. And the reason why we do that is because we're trying to bypass the critical voice and try to bypass um, all the ways we think we should look on the page. We try to bypass all those voices that tell us, like, use this word or don't write that or whatever kind of noise we have that's going on when we sit down to write. When you're writing really quickly, all you can do is pay attention to the word that's coming and the word after that. Hi, I'm Sarah Avon Stover, host of Truth, Love, and Beauty. I'm an author, internal family systems practitioner, and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality, who's built a long career since the early 2000s to be exact, in supporting women to cultivate greater psycho-spiritual wholeness and, in turn, to come home to themselves. My dedication to women and to the upliftment of the feminine at large has been a lifelong one. From growing up as the second oldest of four sisters in a Connecticut suburb of New York City, to studying at an Ivy League all-women's college, all the way up to today. And the very things I support women with mirror the struggles that I've had, things like doubting, pushing, perfecting, hating, and yes, at times, even hurting myself. Yet I've found, and I have a sense that because you're here, you have too, 
that these very wounds and pain points can become openings for profound healing, growth, and spiritual insight. I created this podcast in service of honoring just this, this sacred healing journey that we women are on. It was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations with leading thinkers and luminaries about all facets of the feminine spiritual journey. Plus, this podcast highlights three of the core values we must embrace on the feminine path, truth, love, and beauty, values which we all need more of during this tumultuous time in history. I'm so happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Truth, Love, and Beauty. We are just past the cross-quarter day here in Colorado in the Northern Hemisphere, so Midway through winter, almost there, although actually winter tends to last longer here in this part of the world. And the days, gratefully, amidst long winters here, they're gradually becoming longer. So it feels good to be able to walk again at the end of my workday, not needing to walk in the cold and the dark, that is. And this past week has also been a big week. We had the first gatherings for my new course, Becoming Whole, and such a great group of women who are gathered for this. Feels good to, like I always love this phase of the creative process to be kind of in my own internal space, creating something, envisioning something, and then finally getting to share it and interact with other people around that. It's it's really fulfilling and it just starts to take on a life of its own at that point. And I'm experiencing something similar, but still in the very internal phases of it with my new book. And this month, February, I'm taking a little break from it because it is now with my editor at Sounds True for the first time. So I'm awaiting her feedback for the first, this first round of edits with her and just overall enjoying a little bit of a lighter load until I go back to the editing process at the end of this month or sometime in early March. And speaking of writing, today we are talking all about that. And specifically, we're talking to a woman with an approach to writing that I just adore. So we are talking to Lori Wagner. And I first took a wild writing course with Lori about a decade ago. I have a a memory of sitting at my old kitchen table in a kitchen in my old home, one of my old homes, at night with a journal and a pen and writing furiously with the timer on my phone on for 15 minutes using some of her prompts. So wild writing is a really great practice, whether or not you consider yourself to be a writer, and we'll get more into that later in this episode. But first, a little bit about Lori. Lori has been publishing books and essays and teaching writing for the past 25 years. She is a process guru and a genius for holding space, helping people unzip what's inside of them and get ink on the page. 
a creative brainstormer. She she specializes in out-of-the-box ways to tell your stories. Her wild writing classes are the cornerstone of her live work, and she teaches weekly small groups and also hosts the Wild Family, which is a large group of writers from around the world who write together weekly. She's the author of Living Happily Ever After, Couples Talk About Long-Term Love and Expectations, 30 Women Talk About Becoming a Mother. And you can check out her blog at 27powers.org. Actually, I realized that I, I read the titles of her book incorrectly. I kind of blended two of them in ways that I shouldn't have. So let me just repeat what her the book titles of hers because I, I really want to do honor to them. So the first book that she authored is Living Happily Ever After, Couples Talk About Long-Term Love. And the second book is Expectations, 30 Women Talk About Becoming a Mother. Yeah, that sounds better, right? <laughs> okay. So in today's conversation with Lori, we talk about what the wild writing practice is, how to do it, and ways that it can help us to be more real and honest, not only on the page, but also in our day-to-day lives. And since we also talk about why this practice has been such a lifeline for her, as well as many others whom she has supported over the past quarter of a century. Lori also leads us through a wild writing practice in real time. So if you are curious about that, you have a chance to experience it. And also just a warning that if you are walking or driving right now or doing something where it's not safe for you to start writing, don't worry about it. Just bookmark this and come back to it later because it is a powerful prompt that she leads us through. So there's more that we explore today in our episode, and I will leave it here so that you can just follow along in this conversation with us. So I hope you enjoy this exploration of wild writing with Lori Wagner. Welcome, Lori. It's great to have you with us. Mm, Thank you. Great to be here. And we always start with a personal check-in. So I'd love for you to share with us where you're joining us from today and also how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Hmm. Well, I'm in Northern California. I'm outside of Berkeley and Oakland in Alameda. And it's three o'clock here and it's, you know, it's getting darker. So it's kind of, there's this feeling of sort of like everything kind of coming in um, quiet, quiet, quiet. And I've been noticing that. Uh, that's how I am. As a matter of fact, I taught two classes today, so I've been with people, but even in my being with people, I've been, um, kind of contained. And so there's a level, there's a sort of sense of containment, uh, just to my spirit. I'm not overacting. I'm not overreaching. I'm not overgiving. I'm just sort of a quiet, just a kind of quiet, uh, receptivity. So quiet. Nice. Yeah. So Lori, I came across your work, I think it was like back in 2012. I'm envisioning the house that I lived in at the time. And I remember taking a course with you. And I remember sitting at my kitchen table in the dark, doing wild writing. And Mm -hmm. I just loved it. It made a lot of sense to me. And I know we're going to talk a lot more about it today, but I'm wondering if you can just share with listeners what wild writing is 
and how you got started on this path, both with the the practice of it and the teaching of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'm glad you liked it. And that was a long time ago. That was 10 years ago. So so I'm glad it made an impression on you. Um, Wild writing is automatic writing. So it's not, I, I didn't create automatic writing. There are many iterations of it. But, you know, in wild writing, what we're doing is we're writing for as fast as we can, pen never leaving the page, generally for 15 or 20 minutes at a time, sometimes even less. And what we're doing when we do that, and we, we use poetry as a way to sort of, I use the poetry as a way to sort of bring us into that poet, poetic world of, of just whatever the poem is about. But then we take a line from it and we're using those lines as jump off lines. And so um, I think of the poem as a way to sort of infect us with something really sort of magical and beautiful, spin us around, take us into another world. And then we use a line and we write as fast as we can, pen never leaving the page for 15 minutes. And the reason why we do that is because we're trying to bypass the critical voice and try to bypass um, all the ways we think we should look on the page. We try to bypass all those voices that tell us like, use this word or don't write that or whatever kind of noise we have that's going on when we sit down to write. When you're writing really quickly, all you can do is pay attention to the word that's coming and the word after that. So you can't sit down and curate what's going to be a perfect piece that you're going to write because we're trying to get past all that. What we're trying to do when we're writing as fast as we can is make a connection to the creative unconscious that more dreamy part of us that's instinctive and intuitive. And that's what we're really, really doing is we're strengthening that muscle. Wild writing is a listening practice. So we're listening to ourselves. We're listening and we're writing, listening and writing. Even if we write the wrong word or we write the wrong thing, that'll take us into a new place. And so wild writing is an opportunity to, one, just get past the critic, which is huge, which is so big. And the other thing is that it gives us an opportunity to take the stories that are within us and to use those lines and these poems as a way to sort of enter the story differently than the way we sit down and we tend to tell a story. It's much more creative. It's also much more um, imaginative and loose. So that's what it is. That's what wild writing is. Um. Yeah, one of the things that I appreciate in hearing your your teachings, and I'm, I'm subscribed to your newsletter, that I appreciate in your writing, is the emphasis on honesty and showing up as honestly as we can on the page. And I remember a quote. I years ago I took some landmark co courses, and um, Warner Earhart has has a quote about integrity. That integrity is a mountain with no top. And I feel like honesty is also a mountain with no top. It's like mm -hmm. there's there's just deeper and deeper layers of honesty, at least when it comes to writing. Mm -hmm. Like there's, I feel like there's always new levels of mm -hmm. honesty that I can go to. And mm -hmm. I remember in your newsletter, there was one story that you shared about how I think you were getting on a plane somewhere and it was early in the morning. And when you got on the plane, you realized that you had two different boots on. <laughs> just like, does that kind of honesty just really stuck with me because we've all had those moments. Was just... That was, yeah, that was such a great story for me. That happened this past year and I was flying to Mexico and I was going to be teaching for a week in Mexico with one of my idols, which one, one of my mentors, 
um, the poet Marie Howe. And I'd had a good amount of anxiety around teaching with Marie because she's so fabulous. And I had, when I got to the airport and I took off my boots for the scanner, I had on a brown boot and a black boot. And there was just no turning back. I was headed to Mexico, you know. But it was so funny because it was like it, it, it immediately just like everything just sort of like flew out of me, all the anxiety. And it was just funny. It was like, of course you have on a black shoe and a, and a brown shoe. This is wild writing. This is not looking good on the page. This is not your perfectly crafted whatever. No, this is wild writing, you know. Um, so, you know, what, what you're talking about with honesty and why I'm, I'm really, I say in wild writing, there are like two really important things. One, keep the pen moving, write as fast as you can so that you're not curating your look on the page so that your writing is poorly as possible. We always say that in wild writing, please let your belly hang. Please take a deep breath. Please write as poorly as possible, by which I mean, let's relax and just use our home voices, the voice that you know inside, that you can feel, that you can hear. Let's not do something better. And the, and the other thing is, and please tell the truth and please name things as they are, not, not in a kind of confessional, dirty laundry kind of way, um, big dark secrets, not like that, unless that's what's arising for you, but more um, naming things as they are and, and in a courageous way. You know, this is a culture we live in where people like to be happy or they like to feel like everything's working out or I'm fine or whatever. And, and meanwhile, there's all this other stuff that we just don't really put a put a finger on. And, and the reason why I think it's important is, you know how when you get when you get a chiropractic adjustment and your chiropractor sort of aligns your bones so that you can stand without pain or sit or move without pain. That's an alignment. And in wild writing, when you're telling the truth or naming things as they are, I'm lonely. I'm afraid. Um, you know, I, I was hurt. Whatever those things are, when you're naming those things, um, what happens is that it has that same sort of psychic alignment there's a way in which you know that phrase, the truth will set you free. And when you name things as they are on the page, there's a kind of uh, relaxing because now we're not forcing, we're not shielding, we're not hiding, we're just naming. And so there is a kind of psychic alignment of all your parts just settle down because you're not hiding. And when you're doing that in community, because I teach that I teach the wild writing in small groups and I also teach it in large groups. But when you're doing it sitting around a table, especially with other women, uh, the community healing is amazing because you realize that we all have we all understand one another perfectly. And especially when someone has the courage to tell the truth about something, there's a kind of ah, again, it's a relief, like you're not alone and and it's beautiful. And also you don't hold yourself as a problem. You hold yourself as a citizen of the world, you know, part of humanity. We all feel these things, you know. So yeah, it sounds similar to a process that I experience in my work. I one of the modalities I teach is internal family systems or IFS. It's like a psychotherapeutic modality. And I do these small IFS women circles and 
just when one woman is has the courage to be vulnerable and share something mm-hmm. that she's ashamed of or mm-hmm. something that she's experienced that maybe she's never revealed to anyone before, mm-hmm. it just opens mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. gives gives other people permission to do that and is also just healing for all of us to witness mm-hmm. that. It's like it's I, like contagious. It's it's I think it's also true leadership. It's true leadership when someone has the courage to do that. And that's how, that's what I practice is trying to sacrifice my facade, sacrifice the way that I prefer to be seen or how I want you to feel about me and see if I can get past that. And and as a teacher, uh, that's been really important to me because um, I think that's the leadership I'm looking for. And it also means that the people who are drawn to this work if they're either reading something I'm writing or working with me in some way, there's a safety that's possible for them because um, it's like me going into the water and saying, the water's just fine. Come on in. Yeah. We can write about our bodies. Yeah. We can write about aging. Yeah. We can write about being alone or sex or yeah, we can write about all of the things. And it's, it's um, it turns out to be just a beautiful practice and, Beautiful writing comes from it. You know, I say to people, um, when I say well, we're, we're going to write as poorly, as poorly as possible, I also know that we're going to create beauty, but we're not moving in, in straight into the beauty here door. We're coming through the back door. We're, you know, we're coming in smudged and dented and, and a little messed up, but we're coming in as ourselves. And that's beautiful. You know, and that's yeah, really it's more that, of like a raw beauty than a polished beauty. Yeah, it's a raw beauty. And I think in that way, because it's a beauty that that, that means like we don't have to effort. We don't want to effort for that beauty. We don't want to effort for the connection with ourselves or the connection with other. Um, and it's it's super healing because, uh, you know, you do this long enough. And what starts to happen is that, you know, when you're telling yourself you're selling, you're telling yourself the truth on the page. You do that for long enough, you can't turn around and go enter your life and live differently or speak differently. You know, you're shifting a part of yourself. You're hearing you're, you're hearing what the truth sounds like and it feels good. So to go outside in the world and be a different person doesn't last long. Big changes start happening for people. Um, there's They're more in alignment. You know, that's been my experience for myself and others. Yeah, I want to read something that you wrote in one of your emails about this honesty, if that's all right with you. Please. Okay. You write, if you know my work, you know that much, if not all of my practice with wild writing is an attempt to gather all the beauty at our feet, the bits and pieces of life that are always in front of us, and to make something meaningful out of it. The practice isn't just a nice idea for me. It's more of a personal mandate. Mm-hmm. A practice that helps me to open my eyes and get present, to really see what's in front of me, and to settle into what is already here instead of wishing I were someplace else with different people doing different things. Mm-hmm. Life has a way of wishing by when I live like that. So, in an effort to slow things down, in an effort to let things and people touch me and not spend my life waiting for something better to come along. My work is to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
That's right. That's right. Um, I think, I think that I've been motivated by that for a long time, but I've, I think that the pandemic super, supercharged a lot of that because um, so much was lost and even ideas about things and the way we thought we, we were living and what we were entitled to or whatever, you know, um, I noticed that for me, uh, there was a way that, I mean, it's our, it's our culture. It's our life. We're super consumeristic. You know, we want, we want those jeans look great. That sweater. I want that sweater. I'll feel happier when, or if I'm in a relationship or when I get my book published or if I lose 10 pounds, you know, whatever that, that cultural sort of, um, that thing we do that everyone does when they're looking ahead and looking out there as they miss here. And also I think with writing, there's a way that we think we need the big story, the drama. We need to be really good writers. We need to, we, we need to earn that. And meanwhile, life is just constantly populated at our feet. So many beautiful things to write about. And I always say to my students, there's nothing too small for our purposes. In fact, it's the smallest things that um, are the truest things. There they are. It's in the phone call. It's in the dream. It's the interaction you had with your mother. Um, it's the thought you had walking down the street. It's the way the light was changing. It's it's really presence, you know, and I think that it's been healing to focus on small beauty um, for me and for my students, because that's all we really have. I want to take a short break from today's conversation to ask you a question. Have you ever felt like you reached a point in your healing journey where you plateaued, got stuck, or didn't know how to move forward? Maybe it's a behavior you're engaging in, one you know is unhealthy and you want to stop, Yet, no matter how much willpower you bring to it, nothing seems to shift. Or, if things do shift for a short period, they eventually shift back, making you feel like you're stuck in a painful cycle. Or maybe something challenging happened to you in the near or distant past that you know you haven't fully resolved. You have fears about doing that and also wonder how or where you'll find the time and or resources to do that. In my work as an internal family systems practitioner, I support hundreds of women who are experiencing these exact things. So much so that I felt inspired to compile a resource guide for any of you who might find yourself in similar places. So this free 10-page guide spells out the seven core obstacles we women face on our healing journeys, as well as the next steps to overcome them. Yas is totally free, and you can download it at womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash seven obstacles. And that's the number seven, not the word seven. So womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash seven obstacles. I hope and trust you'll recognize yourself in there and gain some new perspective and encouragement to find your next right step. So enjoy, and now back to today's conversation. What does your daily wild writing practice look like? 
So, I don't know if it's daily, but what what is your writing? What does your wild writing practice look like? Period. Yeah, right. So when I'm teaching, I teach in three months batches, and I'm teaching a class at eight in the morning on Zoom, and then I'm teaching a ten o'clock live class here. So I'm I'm writing. You know, I I'm using three poems a week to write from with all my classes, and I'm writing from those same three poems um, six times a week. Same poem, like begin again, begin again. You know, I don't need the poem to entertain me. And so I'm doing that. So generally three days a week I'm teaching. So I'm writing with my students. I also have a community that I work with called the Wild Family. And this is a group of many people around the world who are I'm making videos for. So I'm making wild writing videos for people in this community and the making of the video is talking about the work. And then every other week we get down and we get together live and we write together and we go into breakout rooms. Um, that's what my practice looks like. I'm also working on a memoir. And so part of my wild writing practice is my memoir writing practice too. So right now it's four mornings a week, getting up at 6.30, getting coffee, sitting down for two hours if I can without my phone, that's crucial. And, and sitting down and trying to, and trying to write. And I, I'm utilizing the wild writing in that because it can be, it can be painful to try to put thoughts down. It can be painful to try to just sit there when the writing, when the writing doesn't feel good or it's bad or it's clunky or the voice is flat, you know, it can, it's it just, but if I allow myself to write as poorly as possible, if I time myself and I go in like 20 minute increments, you're just going to keep going. You're just going to keep going. I can get, I can get in relationship with the work. So, and sometimes, you know, I'm not writing at all, but a friend of mine told me a long time ago, Jeff Greenwald, he's a wonderful travel writer. And he said, I'm writing even when I'm not writing. And that is really true for me too. So when I'm walking out in the world, I'm taping myself, I'm talking, I'm taking pictures, um, I'm listening to a lot of music, I'm appreciating art or I'm in nature and I'm thinking, I'm thinking and I'm not even thinking specifically about anything, but I'm just letting life touch me with the belief and the understanding that I get lit up by something. And then it's going to show up on the page. It may or may not, but it doesn't just happen sitting here at the table. You know, I want all of life to touch me. I want to go have experiences with people. Your book writing practice sounds similar to mine. I'm working on a new book. And since September, I've also been waking up early and spending the first couple hours of the day without my phone yeah, writing and the past couple of days, the past few days, like actually this whole week has felt pretty dry. Yeah, <laughs> like it just just right. hasn't been flowing. So I'm curious, like you said that sometimes you bring your wild writing practice into into the book writing process, like, mm -hmm. and I'm also allowing it just to be like this is my shitty first draft, so I'm just letting it be what it is, right, and just trusting the process, but. Yeah. How, how are you integrating the wild writing practice beyond that, beyond just letting it be poor writing if, if you do? Yeah. Sometimes there'll be like a really great line. Like I could use a line like this is a story about this is a story about. So like if you find yourself stuck or just a, ugh, 
you might try a line like that. This is a story about that. Da, 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 da. This is a story about, and just like drill down into that line as messy and as fast as you can so that you can sort of wake yourself up into something. Today in class, we used a line and the line was, um, my story began, my story began. And even if you're not going to use those jump off lines in your work, it'll trigger something. So, you know, here you are, you're in your book and you think you know where you are in what section, and then you get a little blocked and it's no fun anymore. You can pull one of those lines and, and pull it like straight into the, even the section of the book you're working on, you know? And I think that that, it kind of wows it up because it wakes it up, right. you know. Right. Like it brings in kind of that like poetic quality that you were talking about. Yeah, it's kind of like a different part of the brain. Right. It's it's a, it's got rhythm to it. It's fast. Um, I think writing really quickly, even if you find yourself stuck, like even taking a fifteen minute break, just to just to even write. Sometimes I'll do that, and I'm just like what the hell am I doing here? You know, no one's going to understand this. And I'm typing this and, and it's like, why, do I, why did I even think I had it? Because, 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 why did I even think I had a story here? Because of the time to da, 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 because of that, because the last time I saw my dad, da, 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 da. Like I allow myself to pop out of the narrative that I'm in to, to get into something that has some gristle to it, something I can touch, you know? Cause I think that what I noticed for myself is, um, sometimes when I'm writing a book, quote unquote, I feel like it needs to be bookish or it needs to be good. And I need to sound whatever, like even for all the years, this whole thing, this whole thing. And, and I've been doing this practice for 30 years and I'm still working with that same stuff with those same voices. I don't think they go away. The, the, the only thing I think that I tell my students like what makes me different from the ones who are just beginning this practice is that I'm comfortable writing poorly. I'm comfortable writing poorly because I know that if I just keep going, I'm actually going to be able to solve the little problem on the page that I'm trying to, I'm actually going to be able to tunnel into something that I can feel, but I haven't quite been able to say yet. I know that if I just stick with it, it'll happen. Maybe not today, but I know because I've gotten to the other side. And so I'm willing to tolerate not liking it. And that's really an important thing in the wild writing too, is we're practicing being comfortable, not being comfortable. We're practicing being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Because as a creative person, um, or in a lot of practices, um, if the minute we didn't dig what we were doing, and if in the minute we started doing like, what the hell are you doing? And got up and was like, I'll go check the mail. And it's like, I'm hungry. You know, if, if every time we did that, we'd never make anything. And so part of the practice of even just 15 minutes and not liking it and not saying anything about it, like not making any judgment, like I'm terrible or I'm not a, no. You just got made it through, you know, you did your two hours or whatever you said you're going to do. But the, the other good thing about that is that even if you and I sat down for an hour in the morning to do our work and we didn't like it and we didn't think we were going anywhere, we're still building our relationship with the story. And so you might go out later for a walk and you might just go, oh, that's what that's what I've been trying to say. But you had to do the first hour of whatever was happening in order to get in relationship to the place where you see something, you know? And so these this relationship is 
part of the, um, it's an important part, you know? Um, yeah, I, a, I relate yeah. to that. It's like, it's like tr- building a trust right. with the creative process. Right. I feel right. like I'm in a similar place in my life and I'm grateful for that. It's like, I, mm-hmm. I know that mm-hmm. it's okay for my writing to be bad. And if I just keep going, it will, things will start to click. Things will start to fall into place. And it's, it's kind of like life just when we're going through hard times or uncertainty, it's like, just keep going, keep Mm -hmm. going and Mm -hmm. things will shift and move and change. And you'll find a flow and things will fall into place and things will be messy and uncertain again. And Mm -hmm. just like micro and macro versions of the creative process. I think so. I think so. Learning how to be with things and, um, not crumple up that paper and throw it or make a decision that you're not this or you're not that, you know, we're in relationship. And I think, I think you're right. And I think, you know, the, I always say, you know, who we are on the page is who we are out in the world. They're not separate. They're not separate. And when I mentioned before, like, what is our home voice, our home voice, the one that we're, that is where we're the most comfortable. That's also the voice for the page. And that, that kind of intimacy and can I trust you, reader? Can I trust you, reader? Can I really be myself? Can I really show you show you what it looks like? Um, that's a very intimate experience. And when we do that on the page and we're doing that in our lives, how there's nothing more. There's just that kind of authenticity. Yeah. So you've been doing this work for a long time and working with a lot of people in this mm-hmm. modality what are some things that you've noticed have shifted or come alive in yourself and the the people that have been engaged in this for some time? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, we don't know how to do small talk anymore. We have completely lost I our small talk. <laughs> we can't do that. We've had, we had some parties here sometimes. I mean, I've been teaching for 20 years here in the Bay Area and also been doing it for about 30. And we've had you know, there are lots of people who've been working with me for 16 years, 17 years. Like there've been a lot of people who just stay over time. This is the kind of practice that kind of snowballs. Once you start doing it, if it's for you, you just want more. It's very therapeutic. Um, And we have, sometimes we'll have a party or something and we'll sit down and we'll be in that sort of party mode for a minute but then no one knows exactly how to keep that going. And then some someone will say, well, let's do a check-in. Let's do a check-in, you know. <laughs> and now each person is going to actually reflect something honest and something real. And when we do that, when we drop the facade and we really let people in, um, it gets super juicy. And don't you think that's the way we want to be in the world is of course I'm afraid. Of course I'm afraid I'll be kicked out of the tribe. Of course I'm afraid I'll be misunderstood or people won't like me. But what happens when I just like drop down into my own skin and pull the veil away so that you can see that? So you can see that part of me. Now we're in relationship. And I think that that's what happens to people over time in this work in a way, I've seen people leave relationships. I've people seen people leave their jobs. Um, not I've seen people mostly not be willing to tolerate the either the relationships or the aspects of their life 
which wasn't true, which wasn't true for them. And especially after the pandemic, because we saw how quickly things can go away. And so our relationships become important. Our time becomes important. And I think that the work has really uh, increased the preciousness of of our relationships and our time, and, and, and especially to ourselves. Can you lead us through a short wild writing practice? Would you like that? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So you ready? I'm ready. I have my notebook and my pen here. Okay, great. Um, what do you think based on your, your time? Do you, would you like to write for five minutes or would you like to write for 10? Let's go, let's meet in the middle at around seven. Okay, it sounds good. That's great. Um, so here's, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to read you a poem. And as I read to you, you might want to close your eyes because I find for myself that there's a lot of information in the visual field. So if you're comfortable, close your eyes. And as I read you the poem, just notice what arises for you. You might have a memory of something that happened a long time ago. You might have a memory of a dream or maybe it was something last night. It really doesn't matter. It's this is a process by which the poem is going to sort of populate you with some images and some moments, and it's going to be like a kind of magnet. And so different thoughts are going to come up to meet it. And all of them are interesting and all of them are worth writing about. I'm going to read you the poem. Notice what's arising. I'm going to give you a jump off line, and then I'm going to read it to you one more time because listening is its own muscle. So here it is. It's Julia Alter, and the poem is called if they chop open my body. If they chop open my body, they'll find an engine the size of Tavarua. They'll find a Navy SEAL, then a little girl in a magenta pinafore saying out loud over and over, I'm getting tired of walking. A road of misshapen stones, tulips springing out between my ribs. They'll find that all along a woman named Rita has been in there doing the cha-cha in a swishy black dress and turquoise beads. They'll find a stop sign, a bolt of corduroy, an olive tree, an unopened pack of jarums, a half-drunk bottle of Grand Marnier, a tattoo of a giraffe on the inside of the heart, a bag of marbles, a silver suburban with the keys in it, idling there by the vertebrae, and I wondered why I could never meditate or fall in love. For years I wondered what the hell was wrong, and they are lifting from my body a sleeping child the jackhammer, and the sickle moon. So the jump off line is if they chop open my body. And it can be as, as, as open and loose and not literal as you can. If they chop open my body, they'll see the, the FaceTime call I had with my mother last night and the way she asked me if da-da-da. If they chop open my body, they'll see the picture of my father I passed this afternoon as I was walking to my bedroom. And I realized today's the 10th anniversary. You know, like if they chop open my body, it's just an opportunity to tell a story and to move forward. I'm going to read it to you one more time, okay? One more time. If they chop open my body, they'll find an engine the size of Tavarua. They'll find a Navy SEAL, then a little girl in a magenta pinafore saying out loud over and over, I'm getting tired of walking. 
a road of misshapen stones, tulips spring out between my ribs. They'll find that all along a woman named Rita has been in there doing the cha-cha in a swishy black dress and turquoise beads. They'll find a stop sign, a bolt of corduroy, an olive tree, an unopened pack of jarums, a half-drunk bottle of Grand Marnier, a tattoo of a giraffe on the inside of the heart, a bag of marbles, a silver suburban with the keys in it, idling there by the vertebrae. And I wondered why I could never meditate or fall in love. For years, I wondered what the hell was wrong. And they are lifting from my body a sleeping child, the jackhammer and the sickle moon. If they chop open my body, that's the that's the jump off line. If they chop open my body. And a lot of times I'll also give another line. And so the other line could be a couple of things I don't know how to write about. A couple of things I don't know how to write about. Okay, are you ready? Ready. Okay, good. I'll put the timer on. Well, six minutes, six minutes. And I'll write, I'm going to write with you. Great. Okay.
just a couple minutes. And just start moving toward the end. How was that? <laughs> I love that. What did you notice for you? I noticed um, kind of layers, moving through layers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from just more of the surface of mm -hmm. something that I did like two hours ago mm -hmm. to some deeper things that I'm mm -hmm. holding, mm -hmm. um, like touching into a sadness around mm -hmm. My father, uh, a few months ago, was I learned that he has dementia mm. and just like tapping into kind of like the deeper experience of that that I'm not always able to feel into amidst right. the that's fullness right. of life. Yeah, that's really beautiful and sad. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I, I think there are layers and that's why we keep using that jump off line because it's like a shovel and it helps us dig deeper and deeper. And sometimes in wild writing, like in, you know, would generally write for 15 minutes. And sometimes you write for 10 minutes and you don't love it. You haven't quite said it and you feel like you're clunking around. And then in minute 11, you finally kind of land it and you land it. And now, you know, ah, oh, there it is. But it takes you the first 10 minutes just to get there, you know, because I think there's a little a big fantasy that if you're a writer, you're talented and you just hit the page and the brilliance just spills out of it. But really it's a relationship, just like every other relationship in our lives. And it takes, it takes warming to it and it takes dropping into it. And I think it also takes letting go of that critical voice that so wants things to be good. Um, so, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And Lori, in addition to this practice, I'm curious, are there other things that you do 
on a regular basis that sustain you and nourish you. I'm really into endorphins. I'm really into fresh air. Um, I like, I like walking. I like running. Um, I, I think that for my sort of, I'm my animal type, my, I'm like a double Taurus. I'm like, Okay. Thick with feet on the ground. I need that kind of push to myself. So um, I play racket sports and I run and I'm outside. And I, I, I also spend a lot of time by myself. I feel like, especially walking by myself, I really am kind of cautious around uh, how much people time I get because I need to source back to myself. I listen to a lot of music Music to me is, that's the heart song, you know, that's, that's the most incredible thing. It moves me emotionally in a way that, that doesn't necessarily uh, translate into words, but I know it touches me and, and helps me find my stories. Um, I like is, there any, is there any music recently that you're really enjoying listening to? Oh my God. You know, I mean, I mean, I, uh, you know, that's a really tough question because there's so much good stuff. So I won't even try here, but, um, even just like, what's a song that you've listened to recently? Okay. Down. Yeah. Um, I was listening to something earlier today and the song was, um, actually I love Tom York of Radiohead and Tom York of Radiohead has a son named Noah York, and he's just a young person. But Noah York sounds a lot like Tom York of Radiohead, mm. and it's just beautiful. Wow. Beautiful, beautiful music. So I love folk, love bluegrass, love guitar, fiddle. Um, one of my kids plays banjo, so I listen to a lot of banjo as well. All those arts, all those beautiful things, you know, all of those things. When I, um, there was a time in my life where I had my office set up. So I've had my computer here and then I had my art table over here and then my guitar was in the corner and I would just sort of circle the room. So when I was kind of stuck with something with writing and I didn't know where to go, I'd move to the art table and I just sort of move some things around working on a project, move some things around and oftentimes for me, if I couldn't figure out how to how to make something work on the page, I could figure it out differently with the colors, with the shapes, with the art that I was doing, because I was problem solving on a creative level. And whether I was using words or using color or using sound, opening up my voice, um, it was all the same. It was all working the same kind of thing. You know, as a writer, I find that I better get out of my house if I want to go write about the world, if I want to go have experiences of myself as a human being on the planet, get out of my house and not even do anything important, but just go experience myself um, outside in the world. And the last bunch of years, I've been doing a lot of traveling and during the pandemic, moved to Mexico for a few months and there's nothing more interesting to me than, again, I keep saying it, like being being a citizen of this world on my feet in a town that I've never been in, in a language I don't speak 
and greeting the world from that creative place and and seeing so much and experiencing that has really done wonders for my writing and my friend and I take groups of women out into the world to do that kind of thing because it really wakes up our senses and also you know the world can get very small in your own head your own troubles your own challenges the things and meanwhile there's this big world out there we're still we're still walking it but we're also in in um new experiences new moments new smells and that really just wakes up the creativity so much i love that and what is your current growing edge i thought that was a great question i really really there's so much but um let me see if i can say this really clearly i feel like um a lot of my life has been efforting. I've worked really hard and I've been uh, quite extroverted in a lot of ways. And I'm a maker and I'm a, someone who thinks about things and pulls it together and creates. And I'm noticing and wondering what happens when I'm not efforting? What happens when I'm not efforting in my relationships? What happens when I'm not efforting, um, in my work, in my writing, it doesn't mean that I'm not showing up, I'm not in relationship, but what happens if I'm not selling anything? What happens if my presence is enough? What happens if my presence is enough on the page? What happens if if I go on a date with somebody and my presence is enough and I don't have to sell anything? So I'm really playing with that, with how comfortable can I be in the world without pushing or trying. And that might be just also, you know, part of my age. I'm 62. I'll be 63 when this podcast comes out. Um, Something is shifting. I can feel it. It's been a wonderful, wonderful 40 years of making and doing and efforting and good things have come from it. And now I'm noticing I'm turning a corner What does that look like? Love it. Yeah. And Lori, where can listeners learn more about you? And do you have anything, this is actually coming out in February. So in a little bit. So if you have anything coming up past that time that you want to let us know about, please do. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I do, I, I, I'll be teaching again in March and the classes fill up pretty fast. Um, but I also have other teachers, people, I have a teacher training, so I'm doing my teacher training for the wild writing in, in early March. And there are a lot of students I have who are now teaching. So there's always a class going, but if people want to get in touch with me at 27powers.org, they can find out about the membership, for instance, which is an ongoing beautiful community of about 350 people around the country and outside of this country who are doing this wild writing practice three days a week based on videos, short ones that I'm making every week for them. So they're really current. And then we write together every two weeks. And in that community, I'll often bring, uh, bring writers into this, into the, into the community to talk about writing and we work with other writers. So there's that. And we travel We're you know, we're, heading to Mexico again in, in March and heading to Taos in the, during the year. And we take a lot of really beautiful creative trips. So um, 
there's just good stuff happening and just very creative. And what does 27 powers uh, symbolize? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It's my home address. It's 27 oh, okay. powers court. And we, in the old days, back in the old days, like 20 years ago, we used to put out a little zine. Uh, my writers, we would, we would, at the end of a series, we'd put out a little zine with our, you know, work in it. And one of the husbands of one of my students said, let's call it 27 powers, the 27 powers, because it was like, what are that? You know, the 27 powers just sound. So now everything is 27 powers. And sometimes I've sat down and I thought, what are the 27 powers, by the way? You know, what, what are they? One of them was my ex-husband's old dog, for sure. He was totally one of the 27 powers. He's in the yard buried. But there are other things, you know. So I think it'll just take me the rest of my life to figure out what are the 27 powers. But meanwhile, we're sort of sitting in it. We're sitting in the 27 powers. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for being here with us. And thank you for the work that you're sharing in the world. It's really inspiring. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Nice to see you in Boulder and to make this connection. I think I think so much of the work we're all trying to do in the world is to relax and find our own integrity and move into move into our life, whether it be with ourselves or with others, in that um, gentle and aligned way. You know, so, so true. Yeah, easier said than done. That's why it's a practice. That's why it's a practice. That's exactly right. I mean, I think we know that by now. I think we know that by now. And I think the the beauty of sitting with people and listening to their practice is that you realize you're not alone and you haven't failed. You haven't failed. You're right in there. You're right in the, in the juice of it. And we just, you know, settle down, center down and step in one more time. Thanks, Lori. My pleasure. All right. Take good care. Thank you for being here today. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you could take a moment to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. That is the best way to support me in continuing on with this podcast and also to support other women in finding this, other women who may find this beneficial for their own lives. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And if you're not already signed up for my newsletter, Monthly Insights, which I've been sending out now for almost 20 years, I welcome you to join me and a community of like-hearted women from around the world there. You can subscribe at my website, sarahavonstover.com. Until next time. I'm sending you my heartfelt support.